Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. It's good to see all of you, and hope you're doing just really good, man. I'm just glad you're here. I'm blessed by each and every one of you. If you're joining us online, an app, or a podcast, thank you as well for being with us. And at this time, I want to ask all of you, or if you're watching or listening, if you're able to get out your Bibles or get out a Bible app, you can also get out your worship guide and take notes if you want to do that. But if you can, go to the book of Matthew, that is the very first book in the New Testament, um, and go to chapter 5, verse 9. That's what we're going to pick up today. We're in this short series in um, Matthew 5, and we're looking at the Beatitudes. And um, honestly, it's not a short series. It's, it's really, honestly, it's just a long sermon. It's a three-part sermon. We're going through the Beatitudes. Um, you may ask yourself, we've talked about this, but what exactly are the Beatitudes? Well, the Beatitudes are the very first section of a sermon given by Jesus. It's actually the greatest sermon ever preached because it's preached by Jesus. But as he's beginning this sermon, he begins with the Beatitudes, and nine times he says, blessed, 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 blessed. And that's what really we get this word Beatitude from. But we got, it's it's a blessing. And we've already talked about this, but what it means is not maybe a blessing as the world might hold it today. A blessing is, is it's God smiles upon, right? God, God is happy with. God um, um, is, it blesses those who do these eight different things that we've been going through. And so today we come to the final two Beatitudes. And what we're going to learn today is that we are blessed when we, God's people, are God's ambassadors. Church, we are blessed when we represent God in a broken world. And um, we're going to really just jump right into this because we've got a lot to cover. There's a lot I'd like to say, and I'm going to not say everything because you'd be here for a very long time. Let me, let me do this, though, as we were, we were singing um, some things came to my, 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 my mind, and I hope this um, kind of sets up what we're about to look at. Um, so um, on Friday, um, I'm going to do a funeral of someone from this service. On Sunday, I'm doing a, a wedding for some people from this service. And when I think of that, you think of the highs and you think of the lows. And I know some of you are going through some deep things, hard things, and some of you are in a different place. But I want to say this. Scripture attests to it. It matters how we live, guys. It matters what we do. It matters how we respond to others. It matters. In this life, it matters. In this life and the life to come. And so we're looking at these 
attitudes, these, these, these eight things, and you do them and you're blessed by God. And so it's important to set that and that, and that, that facet to understand life is hard and there are difficulties and there are good days and there are, there are days that aren't so easy to live through. But in all of that, it matters how we respond. It matters what we say and do. Having that in mind, let's look at the final Two Beatitudes, um, this is Beatitude number seven, but it's point number one today, all right? First is this, blessed are the peacemakers. Let me read Matthew 5, 9. Blessed, God is happy with, God smiles upon. Blessed are the, here's the word, peacemakers, all right? Here's the blessing, for they shall, now I prefer the word will, will be called, look at this church, let this set on you, they will be called what? Sons of God. Now that's a tremendous blessing, all right? Who will be called the sons of God? It says the peacemakers. Well, we need to understand that word peacemaker, right? I mean, if you wanna be a peacemaker, you gotta understand what a peacemaker is. You cannot give what you do not have, and so if we do not understand it correctly, then it's not gonna help us at all. So what I have done is I have studied it. Perhaps you could do it differently, but it's a compound word, and I wanna look at both the words, and I wanna put both the words together after we have studied them briefly, all right? First half of the word, you got the word peace, all right? Peace. Hebrews 13, 20 says, God is the God of peace. That tells us a lot, okay, that our God is the God of peace. That is his character. That is his attribute. God is the embodiment of this word peace, all right? Now, today, I think perhaps we have a misunderstanding of exactly what this word peace means. There's a lot of people using the word, and they mean a whole lot of different things than we might think they ought mean. So what does it mean biblically? That's what I want to understand. Here's the error that a lot of us make, right? We take a word that's in the Bible, we apply to it meaning that we have put it in our text, in our, in our culture, in our context, and then we expect it to mean what we want it to mean, but it doesn't mean what you want it to mean. The Bible never means what, it wants you, what you might want it to mean. It means what God has revealed it to mean. So it's important to understand the word that God is using as God intended it to be used, right? If we're going to do it correctly, you don't want to be walking around sitting there doing stuff God never said to do just because you think you, you misunderstood a word. So what, 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 what does the word peace mean biblically? All right, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But the biblical word, the Bible word, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, the English word, of course, is peace. They're similar words, but they're not equivalent words, okay? So you think about shalom as in, I don't know, the Old Testament, or even in Hebrew, it's got a deeper, deeper meaning than peace, English peace. English peace means what? The absence of conflict. That's what it basically means. But I don't want us to confuse God. You don't want to be confusing God with a peace sign. You know what I'm saying? God's not a peace sign, all right? He's more than, greater than, deeper than the absence of of conflict, all right? The word shalom in Hebrew means completeness, wholeness, well-being, and welfare, okay? It's derived from the word that would mean to be made complete or to be sound. That's what we're talking about. So you could rightfully understand it maybe even better. It's a shalom maker, you know? A shalom maker, this, this, this deep word, this word in all totality. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this, peace is more than the absence of conflict. In fact, you could even be in conflict and still be a shalom maker. Okay, so you got that. You got that deep word, shalom. Let's look at the second word, maker. That's a powerful word. 
It's a dynamic word. It is not a passive word. There is some understanding. Some people today might think the word peace is a passive word. How in the world could a passive word be married to or compounded with an active word, right? It has energy. There's effort here, right? Maker, you make, you're active, you're involved. It's not passive. Okay, quickly, shalom, maker, put them together. This describes a person who actively pursues peace in all of its totality, right? Like we're pursuing more than the absence of conflict. We're pursuing the well-being, the wholeness of, the totality of a God who is gracious and kind and just and awesome. That is a shalom maker. All right. Okay, so you got the two definitions. We put them together. But I was thinking about how could I might understand this better? And so here's what I want to do. I want to briefly tell you some things that a peacemaker is not. All right? This may be helpful. First, a peacemaker is not the kind of person who is necessarily easygoing and carefree, who does not care what anyone else does as long as it doesn't impact them. The world may think, the world may apply, the world may, I don't know, say a peacemaker is a passive individual who does nothing, but that is not a biblical peacemaker. Second, a peacemaker, please hear me here, a peacemaker is not someone who's always tolerant. The world may think that that makes for some sort of peace, but always being tolerant is not a biblical peacemaker. Like, you do your thing, I do my thing. You don't bo- if you don't bother me, we're cool. Here's the deal. That kind of attitude, please hear me, it'll kill a church. It will kill a church, all right? Third, a peacemaker is not necessarily an appeaser. A peacemaker is not someone who goes around saying, I want peace at any price. Appeasement, please hear this, this is biblical, this is Bible, appeasement does not make for peace, all right? Contrary to what people may think, peacemaker isn't afraid of making waves, right? Let me say this, I know, I know, man, give me some latitude here, but I'm gonna tell you something. A peacemaker is more than going to a coffee shop, drinking great coffee in your, I don't know, trade-free organic cotton sweater, discussing a YouTube video that you saw about injustice in another country. That, my friend, is not a peacemaker. I don't know, man. Okay, you know what a peacemaker is not? Okay, good. What exactly would be a biblical peacemaker? have this on your outline, and this is just some of the attributes that I thought about as I was studying this. Let me just give you three main ones, all right? First, a peacemaker is characterized by honesty. Honesty, right? There is a problem, a peacemaker, they're going to admit it. They're going to let you know about it. I think about Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 10, he warned against people who, who just say peace when there is no peace. He says, he says, he says, there's these people who say peace. Well, it's there. When there is no peace. That's not a peacemaker, right? Peacemaker, peacemaker's honest. We got to look at the true state of things, right? We got to say that is not how it ought to be. That is not how God desires it to be. Even in my own life, man, I'll be doing, I'll be doing stuff that I know don't honor God, and I can't be sitting there pretending like it does. Got to repent. Got to repent. My goal in life, man, you know, one of my goals in life, my, one of my goals in life, I, I want to out-repent all of you. 
I want to be, I repent, man. I want to be a repenter, right? So we got to be honest, okay? What else is a peacemaker? Let me tell you this. I believe they are willing to risk pain. That's a peacemaker, willing to risk pain. Anytime you attempt to bring peace personally or in the society, you might be misunderstood, and people may not take lightly to it, right? So I would say, man, like I said, you got to risk pain. I don't like conflict, guys. I don't like conflict. I get it, man. I get it. And I think sometimes avoiding conflict, I have thought, will bring peace. But I'll tell you what, when I avoid conflict, it most certainly often does not bring peace. Here's the final characteristic. There's more. Peacemakers are prepared to fight. I love it because I believe it. A peacemaker is willing to make trouble for peace. Peacemakers... We make trouble for peace. We wage peace, right? We're peacemongers, peace hawks. We fight for peace. Not the English word, shalom. Shalom makers. We're going to fight for that. Let me just read a few verses. What does God say about this? Look what he says, Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans 14, 9. Make every effort. That's a striving for to what leads to peace and to the mutual edification, once again, the biblical peace. Romans 12, 18, for if it is, if it is possible, church, please, 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 if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace, biblical peace with everyone, all right? And then we know this, church, the ultimate peacemaker was whom? Jesus, right? Jesus, the supreme peacemaker, it's Christmas time. He's called the Prince of Peace. He's our supreme example of sacrificial aggression, right? You can be aggressive in bringing peace, right? He made peace. He made peace. He made peace. He made peace. He's the source of peace, right? And so what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Man, I'm going to tell you, ultimately, ultimately, I think being a peacemaker means telling people about the person and works of Christ Jesus, right? We are most like a biblical peacemaker, I believe, when we tell people about Jesus, Right? That brings peace, right? Jesus brings peace. Let me tell you right now, Jesus has brought peace to my life. Jesus has brought peace to my relationship with the living God. Not only that, God, he's brought me peace to my relationship to my fellow men and women. He is the ultimate peacemaker. We are called to be peacemakers, and I believe, church, we are called ultimately to tell as many people as we can lovingly about the greatest thing we know, and that is Jesus Christ. All right. Well, 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 right there, you get the tension. The tension, well, that'll, peace. I tell you what, right now, man, you're going to be telling people about Jesus, not everybody's going to listen to you. Some people are not going to like you. You guys know this. Jesus knows that too. And that is why he follows this with the eighth and final beatitude. Let me say this, the second, number eight, blessed are the persecuted, right? Blessed are the persecuted. Now, there's a divine tension in here, right? You know, this, the blessed, you got the joy, and persecution. You're going to look at that and you're going to say, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand that, right? 
The final beatitude is unlike any of the other beatitudes. It's a crescendo. It talks about persecution and our response to it. And this is what I really want to spend some time talking about. Um, I have found in my life, I've been to a lot of different places and different contexts and cultures and tribes and countries. And I have found in general, the Christians fall into one or two categories, all right? You got the individuals who say, I am a Christian, I love Jesus, I'll do anything for Jesus, I'll follow Jesus, but as soon as somebody I don't know laughs at them, they hide. They can't take it, they can't take it, they can't take it, right? There's a group of us like the bit, you know. And there's a second category group that I think of Christians, and they're Christians who say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I chase after Jesus, man, I love Jesus. And they are aware that persecution is going to follow. They understand that. And then when it does hit them, they do not tap out. Not because they like it, but because they understand the concept. And they understand that when you preach, when you teach, when you proclaim, when you live a gospel-centered life, church, if you live a gospel-centered life, you're going to be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted in some manner, you might want to ask yourself, am I living a gospel-centered life? These are all tensions, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but these are things we must ask. We must, myself, by the way, every time I preach, I'm preaching to myself. I'm talking to myself here, right? If you live a gospel-centered life, you will be persecuted. Now, I'm not saying we seek it. I'm not looking for it. I got some buddies. I got some buddies. They look for it. I don't look for it. Don't like it. I don't like persecution. Never like persecution. I don't like people laughing at me unless I'm doing something funny. I can laugh at me then. I'm just saying this, guys. We choose persecution over sinning. We don't take the path of least resistance. Jesus did not. We ought not either. So let me read the final beatitude. It's unlike the other ones, okay? It's three verses. Let me just read this to you. This is the crescendo Blessed, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what I'm talking about. Verse 11, he's repeating it. He's going to say it twice in a different caveat here. Same thing, he's building. Blessed are, check this out, check this out. He changes. This is the only beatitude where it changes. He has been saying blessed are those. Now he's going to make it personal. Church, blessed are you. You're supposed to hear this, the, the change, the change here. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. A command is giving. The only be attitude with the command, verse 12, rejoice and be glad. How do you command someone to be glad? That's a weird one. We can talk about it, but I'm telling you, when you're doing it, you rejoice. For your reward is what? Great. Where? On earth? No. In heaven? For, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a lot going on. There's a whole lot going on there. Okay, I'm going to say it again. This beatitude is different than the others, okay? There's a command given. It's repeated twice. He says it, verse 10, verse 11, and then he makes it personal. He shifts from, he shifts from blessed are those to blessed are you. This is a tremendous thing. It's talking about persecution. The crescendo, the crescendo of the Beatitudes is an education for persecution for the Christian believer, all right? And we don't said, man, you want to live the gospel-centered, Christ-centered life, you're going to get persecuted. 
Jesus says, I'm going to end the Beatitudes on this crescendo because we ought, we need to rightly understand that persecution comes and how we ought to, I don't know, respond to it. All right. I want us to be educated. I want us to understand what God is saying. In here, there are five truths about persecution. I'm going to walk through them because I don't, I, I don't know if I always think correctly about persecution. Let's just walk through them, church, okay? We're going to get it. You're going to be living the gospel-centered life. You're going to get something. All right. First, not all persecution brings joy. All right, that's the first thing you understand. I don't want us to be deceived here thinking all persecution brings joy. That is not what the text says. The text says there's a specific kind of persecution that brings joy. What does it say? Say, blessed are those who are persecuted, here we go, for righteousness sake. That's what we're talking about. If you're persecuted for other things, it doesn't say you're going to get joy, but for righteousness sake. Unfortunately, I have ran into individuals that who have, uh, I don't know, interpreted it to mean any persecution brings joy, all right? So, example, I got so many of these, man, we can be here long. This is good. I have met individuals, Christians. They go around, you know these guys, they just beat people up with the Bible. They're unkind, they're mean, they're rude, they're just beating you up, beating you up, beating you up, beating you up, all right? Then they'll tell you, Nobody, they want to go out maybe. And they're like, nobody wants to go out with me. You know, no one wants to hang out with me. I'm being persecuted. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think you're being persecuted. I think you're just a jerk and no one wants to hang out with you, right? It's true. It's true, man. You can't be claiming that. You're not being persecuted for righteousness sake. You're actually being persecuted because you just mean. And that happens, right? There's another true story, man, because this happened to me, man. It happened to me, okay? This was early on when I lived here. This was about, probably about 10 years ago, man. I don't know. Um, so I was with my family, and we were, um, I don't know, grocery shopping. And so um, when we grocery shop, I leave, you know, the grocery shopping <laughs> to my wife because I'm no, I, I just slow her down. And I remember I was walking by this place, and there was these three individuals. They were young men, and they were talking about Jesus, all right, that's cool, man. So I'm walking by them. They're talking about Jesus, and I tell them, I said, man, I said, man, you guys are talking about my favorite thing, Jesus. And so we start talking, and it was lovely. They were lovely people, lovely, lovely, lovely people. And it was fun <laughs> until something really odd happened. Um, they asked me about myself, and they discovered that I was a pastor at Silverdale, and the conversation took an odd turn. I'm not making this up. They, they said, they go, this, there's one main guy, but he was, he's like, that's a big church. And I'm like, it is big. We're really blessed. People come into faith and all sorts of stuff like that. And then he starts really cutting on me. He goes, how do you, I don't know, minister to that many people? I said, I thought we were still friends. Okay, I did. And I go, I go man, I don't eat dinner with all 6,000 of them, you know? And the other one goes, looks at me, he goes, I could never go to a church like that okay, I didn't invite you, you know? <laughs> but um, he's like, he goes, he goes, our church only has 20, 25 people. And I'm like, great, man, that's a tremendous church. And then he goes, I'm telling you, these guys, this is our city. He goes, and we preach the gospel. So it's 20 people. That's what I thought, man. 
No, that's what I thought. So this guy was bragging on the fact that not many people come to his church, right? That's not persecution. Now, by the way, we don't want to water down the gospel. I'm not saying we do that. I'm not saying we do that. I'm not at all. But to sit there, I'm having a conversation with you. I'm like, man, I don't know, man. You're a jerk, you know? You're just not nice. You're not kind. Nonetheless, I'm like, I think my wife needs my help over there, right? But we do. We, we got people. We got people. And, I, and, and whatever. They seek to be persecuted. But it says, blessed are those who are persecuted specifically for righteousness' sake. In context, what is righteousness' sake? In context, righteousness' sake are all the beatitudes we've just studied. So in other words, those who are persecuted, because they're living out the other beatitudes, they are blessed. Blessed are those who are merciful. That's the righteous, that's righteousness' sake. If you're persecuted for that, you're blessed, okay? That's what we're saying. Okay, we're going to keep moving, okay? Second, well, once again, persecution is, is a Christian attribute. That's hard to think about. No, no, that's hard. That persecution is an attribute of a Christian. In context, though, this is very logical, okay? We are in the Beatitudes. Every Beatitude has described a characteristic of a Christian. Why would the eighth one not also be describing a characteristic of a Christian, right? Ostracism, persecution, rejection is just as much a sign of being a believer as being poor in spirit. If you're taking it in context, that's what we're looking at, right? So we shouldn't, we, sh- we, should, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised when we're persecuted. I would argue differently, friend. I would argue this. You should be surprised if you're not getting persecuted in some manner. Therefore, I've already said it, if you claim to be a Christian and you're not, I don't know, experiencing some sort of pushback, you know, what, what's going on, right? If you are a Christian and you are never out of step with the culture, if you are pleased to partake of the culture, right, you're content in it, you have no problem with it, you seek to embrace it, you might want to ask yourself, what citizen am I a part of? Am I a citizen of the world or the kingdom of God? All right? Once again, clearly, we are not seeking it, but if you're going to live a gospel-centered life, it will come. That leads me to the third thing that we need to know about persecution. This one's really, um, I think, takes some of us by surprise, but most persecution is not physical torture, all right? It's not. It's not. It's just not. We think about persecution, and maybe you think about the lion's den or just being beat, I don't know, <laughs> you know, taped down and having to listen to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas or whatever, like a hundred times, that kind of, ah, I can't do it, you know, mercy. But no, no, no. Even, even, in, the, even in the text, it doesn't say that. This word persecuted is the ideal of being harassed. That's in verse 10, but verse 11 even amplifies it. Look, it says, bless are those who revile you, right, and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you. So it can be, it can be, it can be being forced to do, I mean, just torture. It can be that, like physical, but not necessarily. Most of us will not experience 
that kind of physical torture, okay? But every one of us should be harassed because we are gospel-centered, Christ-seeking, all right? There's an interesting thing. In my life, there's an interesting thing because I've had some young men come talk to me and I, I love my favorite thing in the world, I'm telling you, is to talk to young men. Why? Because we need them. We need them. I know, I know, I know, I know they can be smelly and goofy, but churches are built on them. God has designed it that way. But I got some, some guys, they love Jesus, and they, they, some guy, they come, that's a guy, that's so many stories. This guy, he comes up, he's like, he, he just came to faith or whatever. He's like, you know, well, he's like, listen, hey, Travis, Pastor Travis, man, I'd take a bullet for Jesus. That's good, man, that's good. But later on, I see that someone makes fun of him, and then he kind of shies away and hides that he loves Jesus. And so I call him back, and we're, we're doing a Bible study. I'm like, dude, listen, you told me the other day, you told me the other day you can take a bullet for Jesus. Now you won't even take someone laughing at you for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. Isn't that not, not interesting? But is that not a lot of us? Is that, hypothetically, every one of us is like, man, I'm going to take a bullet for Jesus. I'm going to take a bullet. But yet we walk and act and talk. Like we're embarrassed of Jesus? Come on, man. Come on. I heard this quote. I think it's true. I don't know who said it. You can claim it if you want to, and next time I use it, I'll use your name. Anyway, the immature Christian says, I will die for Christ. The mature Christian says, I will live quietly and faithful for Jesus my whole life. My friend, that is what we need. That is what we need. Very few of us in here, if any, will have to take a bullet for Christ. But every one of us will wake up on Monday and go to our jobs and our schools, and we're going to have to live a life, gospel-centered life. What do you do then? Four, this is another one that surprises people, but it's true. It's, it's true. God designed it this way, guys. I'm just telling you. Lack of persecution produces a frail church. It absolutely does. Persecution's a hard thing. But the tragedy today is not that persecution happens to believers. The tragedy is it doesn't actually happen enough. I was thinking about that. Thinking about why, 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 why. Why do we not experience the level of persecution that I think we ought to be? If you're living a gospel-centered life, there's, there's several reasons I thought about it. I want to share this with you, and this one's heavy on me, and, and I want to change it in my own life, all right? The reality why many of us don't experience the level of persecution we could experience is because we're just simply not around a lot of lostness, right? I mean, you can insulate yourself from persecution if you only hang out with Christians, okay? And it's easy to do, you know? You come to church and you need to be here for sure. We, we love Jesus in here. If someone makes fun of you for loving Jesus in here, well, point them out because I need to talk to them, okay? Um, Bible study, you need to be in Bible study, but very seldom are there gonna be um, hostilities there. You go to a Christian school, maybe. You go to the gym with other Christians. You golf with believers. And so you just kind of insulate yourself. The longer you live, and this is such a weird deal, but the longer you live and you grow in your Christian faith, the less likely you're to be around lostness. And so you're just not experiencing the level of persecution. 
And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, no, this was laying heavy on me. Like, the Saturday, the Saturday night service, it'll celebrate 10 years in April. And it looks a whole lot different than it did 10 years ago or even 12 or when, you know, it, was, it started on my back porch, right? Praise God it looks different. Praise God it looks different. But I was thinking about this. It, it, even, it, even, it even smells different. It does. Um, when you start on my back porch, there's a lot of lost people, a lot of guys, and they smoking, they chewing, whatever. And they stunk. We were, all, we were sweating. And I kid you not, there was this, I don't know, a slight aroma of what people call, I don't know, marijuana. And here it smells like coffee. You know what I'm saying? It's an improvement. It's an improvement. It's an absolute improvement. And some of those guys who were saved One of them's a pastor. But it looks different, right? I'm insulated, guys. I'm not going to get, you guys aren't going to persecute me for loving Jesus. Is that an indictment on the world or is that an indictment on me? Well, guys, we've got to seek to be around more lostness. Well, you've got to. You've absolutely got to. So that's one. Yeah, and it, it doesn't happen intentionally. It doesn't. It doesn't. But it can. All right? There are some another, other reasons. One of the reasons is we keep our faith secret. Like I already said, I don't want to be laughed at, so I just hide my faith. Um, so I don't know. It happens. I got some stories there. We won't get into it. But um, I'm just going to be honest with you, and now I'm talking about the church universal, not necessarily our church but one of the reasons there is little persecution in the church is because many churches look a lot like the world, right? That's a way, that's a way to not be persecuted, right? I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't want to be persecuted, all you got to do is live like the world. You got to laugh at what they laugh at. Immerse yourself in their entertainment. Watch what they look at. Listen to what they listen to. Smile when God is mocked. Does it bother you? Listen, does it, I don't, I'm just gonna say, does it bother you when God's name is used in vain? Does it, church? When the holy God's name who saved you died on the cross in your place, when his name is flippantly used in entertainment, does it sit right with you? It shouldn't. Shouldn't. Shouldn't me either. It's all around us. And we partake of it. Yeah, you will, you will, you will, you will, my friend, not be persecuted if you laugh when they laugh. That's free advice. Do what you want to with it. I'm just telling you it's the facts. And if you don't want to be persecuted, there's one final thing you ought not do. Don't tell people about Jesus. Don't do it. The minute you do it, my friend, you will get persecuted. All right? But if you want to avoid it, just don't bring his name up. The fact is the, unperse- the, ch- the unpersecuted church, the unpersecuted church becomes a frail church. It just does. Once again, I could give you lots of examples the church in Iran is heavily persecuted. But my, they are on fire. 
North Korea, China. The, the unpersecuted church becomes frail. Fifth and final thing, there is joy to be found in persecution. Persecution for righteousness' sake. Remember that. We're not talking about, not for being a jerk. Matthew 5, 12, let me just say it again. Rejoice, that's a command, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That's where I want my, if I have, if I have to get a reward, I want it in heaven. Don't need it here. Can't take it with me. It's in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Check that out, guys. Check that out. You get persecuted here for righteousness sake. Who's in your crew? Jeremiah, Elijah, the prophets. That's a crew, man. That's a crew. Daniel, yeah, come on, man. And by the way, Daniel lived in a godless place, did he not? And he got some persecution. Another message, ultimate source of believers rejoicing is Jesus, immeasurably great. So, real quick, not all persecution brings joy, only persecution for righteousness' sake. Persecution is a Christian attribute. Most persecution is not physical torture. People are going to make fun of you. Lack of persecution becomes a frail church, and there's joy to be found in it. All right. Next week, we're going to begin our Christmas series, and I love Christmas. Before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Church, do you want to be blessed by God? Blessed, listen, listen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their own sin, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy from the living God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on the account of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad for your reward, my friend, is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Silverdale, I love you guys. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am weak and I sin and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Father, I pray that we would be a people who live gospel-centered lives. I pray that we'd be a people who tell many about Jesus. I pray that we'd be a people who anticipate persecution. I, I pray that we'd be a people who do not partake in what the world partakes in, even though it's so luring to do, Father. I pray that you would bless this church for your glory, our joy, and for the good of the nations, we ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. 
You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.